Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And uh, we've got a lot of good questions coming up today. They're good questions because they come straight from our viewing audience. Uh, we try to get our answers straight from the Bible, but all the questions come from uh, you who are watching, and uh, we enjoy trying to answer some of them, and we enjoy answering all of them, but some of them are really interesting and uh, brand new, and we've never thought about that before. So uh, we enjoy studying them with you, and hope you enjoy learning a little bit about the Bible. There's a phone number and a website on your screen throughout the program. Use those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Tell us what's on your mind, or maybe if one of our answers today will stir another question in your mind, and uh, be sure to call it in or uh, log on and write it out for us, and we'll put it in the stack and get to it just as quickly as we can. Toby Levering's here to help me answer questions. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. We got some good ones today, but uh, we always start with one for our viewers, just see if they know a little bit of Bible. Uh, the great story of Noah and the ark. He sent some birds out to see where the dry land was, if it was yet. And finally, a dove come back, came back with a leaf in its mouth. What kind of leaf was that? We'll see if you know that and give you an answer at the end of the program. All right. You got a disbeliever here, it looks like, Toby. Yes, so do. you get the first one. Okay. Uh, the question, the statement is, I do not believe God could possibly hate divorce. And I uh, think I understand what the person's getting at, but let's look in Scripture where it says exactly this, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Uh, now, if we understand divorce as the breaking of the marriage covenant, then we can certainly understand uh, why it is that God hates it. Uh, divorce wreaks havocs, havoc on families. Uh, children and, and the two people being divorced, it causes a lot of uh, difficulty and struggle. It's a separation of not just their finances and property, but it's a separation of lives, two lives that at one point were pledged to be one together for a lifetime. And when they made that pledge, they made decisions based on the two being one, and uh, those decisions uh, went forward, and now they're tearing the covenant, a, a breaking, a separation, and uh, that causes all sorts of problems. And I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm being realistic. Uh, any divorced person will tell you it causes a lot of heartaches and sleepless nights and difficulties and counseling and all sorts of stuff. And the reason God hates it is because He knows it's going to hurt us, and He doesn't want things that hurt that are going to hurt his children as any good father would the verse does not say that god hates divorced people and if you're watching and if you're you've been through a divorce i'm very sorry for that i know that that is a tremendously heartbreaking thing and perhaps you were in a situation that was uh, abusive or uh, uh, 
situation where one person was being unfaithful and uh, I, I'm not trying to pile on to your uh, open wound, but I, I just need you to know that God still loves you. He still wants what's best for you. And, uh, but he's realistic about the difficulties and the, the tremendous heartache that it causes. And we need to be realistic about that. The world today teaches that divorce, it's fine, it's easy, it can be amicable, and, and there's no real consequences to it. But anybody who's been through it and any child of any family that's been through such a tearing knows that it's a tearing that leaves a lifelong scar. So I hope that, uh, that you know that God still loves you and he haven't, hasn't given up on you. Um, and, but divorce is not what God intends. He wants uh, people to, to work it out. He wants marriages to stay together. Uh, he intends for a covenant to mean something and for, for one man and one woman to be committed for one lifetime. Uh, but when it doesn't work out, when divorce happens, he knows it's going to hurt the people involved. Uh, let's read what Jesus said in Ma Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So uh, this is what God's original purpose is. We believe that uh, marriage and family in the long run is what's best for God's children. And if you've been through divorce, know that God hasn't given up on you, and you can find help, uh, and uh, you can still find hope. All right. Thank you, Toby. Uh, viewers got a very basic question about the Bible. How and when was the Bible written? Well, uh, reading that question, my first thought is, Toby, you can take the rest of the day off. <laughs> this will take me the rest of the day and a couple more programs probably. Uh, very interesting study, actually getting into the details of uh, who wrote the Bible and when and how. And uh, even more interesting is how the Bible was passed down to us and how we've got it in a form that we can trust is what God wanted us to have. A great study, very interesting. Let me just give you a few highlights here. We don't have time to get into much detail. Uh, who wrote it is probably the first question. Forty different men, about 40 different men wrote uh, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. Moses recorded the first five books, we believe, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wrote the first four books of the New Testament, uh, the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life. Paul wrote almost all of the epistles in the New Testament. Uh, Peter wrote some, James wrote some. So anyhow, 40 different people wrote uh, the books of the Bible. Uh, when did they write it? They wrote it over a period of 1,600 years about. Uh, the last one was written about 100 A.D., somewhere in that neighborhood, and the first one was written some 1,500 years B.C., so period of 1,600 years or so. Uh, the how is key to what we believe about the Bible. We believe all of those writers were inspired by God. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, he inspired men. He carried them along and helped them write the truth. 
So we believe it is from God, written by 40 different men over a period of 1,600 years. And then we believe that God providentially protected it for us and got it copied right and kept it safe uh, so that when we open the Bible today, we can find out what His will for us is with confidence that that's what He intended for us. So great story of how and when the Bible was written, and that is certainly a very, very brief summary of it. Uh, interesting study. If you want to go into more detail, I'm sure you can find lots of material on the Internet about how we got our Bible. Uh, interesting study, but that's the basics. All right. A question about yep, your hell. Turn. Okay. Yep. A viewer wants to know, does your church believe in eternal hell? Uh, well, I would say, yes, we believe in that, and we believe in that because the Bible teaches very clearly about that. Uh, Jesus and the prophets all warned about the uh, very realness of the eternal punishment. Uh, you can look up some scriptures on your own, Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Matthew chapter 22, verse 13, Matthew 25, verse 30, all tell us that hell is a very real place, uh, it's very dark. It's very sad. Uh, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, there's a fiery torment. Uh, it is, in other words, not a place that anyone <clears throat> wants to go. Uh, and you want to uh, do everything you can to stay out of it because it's a very real eternal punishment. And some might say, well, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, God doesn't send anyone to hell. They choose to send themselves to hell. Uh, they choose the eternal punishment and reject the free grace of God offered through Jesus Christ. Uh, but that does not negate the very uh, severity and realness of hell. I know there's some modern teaching that, that hell isn't uh, as real as described and explain away some of these verses. Uh, you can explain away all those verses all you want, but those verses still remain in the Bible. And, of course, we believe and teach <clears throat> the Bible at Northside, and I believe that most any Church of Christ are going to find uh, similar teachings. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Here's what Jesus himself said. Uh, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So it is real, uh, and uh, the good news is that the escape from it is through Jesus Christ, and we don't have to go there if we'll accept His grace. Okay, thanks. Uh, let's talk about a good way to study the Bible for just a second, and we mention this each week in between some questions. Uh, we like to answer questions and help you learn some Bible, but we also advocate that uh, you do some home, some home Bible study, and we've got some ways to help you with that. We've got some free materials that we'll send you, and like the sign says, they're free. Uh, I know some people are a little bit nervous about calling in or uh, logging on to a Christian TV show, a religious TV program, because all of a sudden you're on mailing lists and you're getting asked for money all the time and you're getting mail that you don't want. It doesn't happen on Know Your Bible. Uh, we do send you some study materials if you want them, uh, and if you don't decide you don't want them any longer, just stop and uh, we'll stop bothering you with them. But uh, most people uh, find it a great way to study the Bible. You see the first course here on the screen. There are eight lessons in it. A very basic study of the Bible. It's a good way to get a good foundation of Bible study and to form a regular habit of Bible study. After you're through those eight lessons and uh, have sent them back in to somebody who will grade them for you and give you a little accountability, 
Uh, you may have a pretty good habit of Bible study formed and want to go on to the more advanced courses we've got and uh, just keep studying the Bible for a long time. So we want you to study the Bible. We think this is a great way to help you uh, free of charge. So give us a call or log on. So you'd like that free course, we'll get you one. All right. The viewer wants to know, is it a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, uh, like a Muslim or a Buddhist? Well, obviously, this is a big question. What, what do you call a non-Christian and all that? Uh, they gave us a couple of examples, but there's lots of other examples. There's atheists, there's uh, agnostics, there's all kinds of things. So uh, let me start out by saying I'm sure that it's a very, very bad idea. Now, for me to say it's a sin, there's so many different situations uh, where people may be a nominal Christian and they marry somebody that's not and then later they learn the truth and become a Christian and there's so many different situations that it's really hard to say no this is absolutely wrong. Uh, I will say it's absolutely a bad idea for a Christian, a committed dedicated Christian to marry a non-Christian. That's not good, and we'll show you the verse that says so in just a moment. But probably the reason I kind of hem and haw on this is because in Corinth there was a situation where there were a whole bunch of pagans and Jews and atheists and a whole mix of people that learned about Christianity when Paul came to town. And some of them were already married. They found out about Christ, and that made a big mess because now one person who was a Christian perhaps, was still married to a pagan and they started wondering, you know, do I have to get divorced or should I stay married to this person? So Paul wrote a lot of 1 Corinthians to explain to them that, you know, yeah, this causes problems when Christians are married to non-Christians. So, uh, so many situations there that it was hard to straighten out. Now, there is one passage that pretty well lays down the principle. So let's look at that and hopefully that will be a good enough answer for you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. And it's not completely or uh, only about marriage. It's about any kind of relationship. But Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, yoked is any kind of connection that would apply to a business partnership, a marriage, a rent the same place together or something like that, where you're tied to somebody. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And that's a word for Satan. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. All right, so Paul's teaching there is, uh, why does a, would a Christian form a close relationship? They go into business together, get married, even date uh, an unbeliever. Why would a, what kind of fellowship are you going to have there? So when I said it's a very, very bad idea, uh, that's it. Now, I think the testimony to this is you can find lots of couples that don't agree on religion and they have a harder time in marriage. 
The more things you agree on in marriage, the more that you're of one mind about things, uh, the better off your marriage is going to be. And certainly religion, what you believe about God and what you believe about the Bible and all that is very, very essential to agree on. So uh, what Paul's teaching is, is not is it a sin or not, but why would you want to? Uh, why would a Christian want to have any kind of close relationship uh, be tied to somebody that doesn't believe the same basic things that they do? So hopefully that answers your question there on that one. Got a difficult question from a viewer. They really want to know what the Bible says. Does the Bible say <clears throat> what happens to someone who commits suicide? Well, first of all, the Bible says almost nothing about suicide itself, uh, let alone the eternal destiny of someone who uh, commits suicide. And that is, uh, puts people who are left behind to be left with this question of what happens, uh, what has happened to this dear loved one of, of mine. Suicide is, a, of course, a terrible thing. And the people it's hardest on are the, the family and the beloved friends left behind, questioning why they did this, what they could have done to prevent it. Uh, so if you're in a state of depression and you're sitting there watching this television show and you're really <clears throat> thinking about committing suicide, I just want to urge, urgently plead with you to seek uh, Christian counseling, uh, go to a program like Celebrate <clears throat> Recovery and get some help. Uh, it is such a terrible wake. Of, of sorrow and heartache that suicide leaves uh, on those left behind. So I would encourage you certainly not to do that and to get some good Christian counseling to help. Now to answer the question, uh, some people, of course we know a couple of things. First, life is precious to God. We also know murder is a sin. <clears throat> so some people put those things together and say, well, suicide is self-murder and you can't repent of it. Uh, you can't undo it, of course. And so then the person goes into eternity with sin that's unrepented of and therefore they must be eternally uh, damned. And I understand the logic behind that, but I also believe it leaves out the full understanding and the authority of God. Uh, God knows the mental condition and the hearts of the people uh, that have committed this, and I believe He's going to make exactly the right decision. And I'm not going to say there's uh, a fixed response to all of it. God's going to do exactly what He deems right and necessary for the person at that time. He understands their mental condition, their state that they were in, and uh, God is both a God of mercy and justice, and He does both of those things perfectly. So He's going to make the decision. What uh, We cannot say with absolute assurity the eternal destiny of anyone who commits suicide. Uh, that is in God's hands alone, and I assure you He will make the right choice. Um, but if you are in a state and you're really struggling with that, please don't linger around that any longer. Uh, get some help. Get some people into your life who can help you and, and lift you out of that state and get you into a right state of mind. I hope that's helpful. Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, political question here. Is it acceptable for politicians who claim to be Christians to speak badly of their opponents? Well, 
politics is pretty much off limits on this program. <laughs> <laughs> We're wise enough to kind of stay out of politics, uh, especially after our last election. It's probably a good idea to stay away from politics. But I understand the question, uh, so we'll talk about it a little bit. And first of all, I think it's a good thing uh, for Christian people to get involved in public service and politics. Uh, I think we ought to have a voice. We're lucky enough or blessed enough in this country uh, to be able to have a voice in politics, and we ought to exercise that right, uh, at the very least by voting, but to also to participate if you have the time and then the inclination. Now, to add to that, I'd say I think it would be very hard for a Christian to be in politics. It's a tough old world, and... Uh, so many things go on that, man, it'd be hard, uh, but it's a good thing for Christians to serve in politics. Now, the specific question was, can a Christian speak badly of their opponent? And I think that's one thing that would be hard, is to win a race, to campaign and all that. Uh, you've got to speak badly in some sense about your opponent. Uh, you've got to tell why they ought to select you instead of them. Uh, you've got to point it out if they have bad ideas. You've got to point it out if they lie about things. Uh, you've got to point it out if they've got problems that would make them be a bad representative. Uh, so speaking badly, in one sense, you've got to do some of it. Uh, I think probably the dividing line is it should never be personal or cruel or hateful. Uh, a politician to speak the facts and say this person believes this, I believe that's a bad policy, I believe that will hurt my constituents or America. Uh, you got to do that if you're in politics. But to make it personal, hateful, uh, dirty tricks, all of that, no, Christians should certainly have no part in that and unfortunately sometimes that's a big part of politics. So. Uh, Depends what you mean by speak badly, I guess. We certainly shouldn't be unchristian in our treatment of other people. Uh, but a politician has to say some negative things sometimes about somebody and part of the game. As long as you keep it uh, on the proper level and uh, as long as it's always true, politicians got to do that, I think. So don't know how much that helps, but uh, you go ahead and run for office and see how you do it. <laughs> I don't think I'd do very well at politics. <laughs> Take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program is kept on the air by Churches of Christ, produced by the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, we're able to stay on the air because a lot of Churches of Christ to support us and we don't have to ask for money, never have, never will ask for money on this program and one of our supporters is uh, the Watermill Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri. A great bunch of folks there that uh, are partners in the, the broadcast coming out of Springfield and uh, if you live in Springfield or that neighborhood, stop in sometime and tell them you watch them on Know Your Bible. You appreciate them keeping the program on the air for you. Bill McFarland's a minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him preach and teach the gospel. Great bunch of folks there. Uh, give them a visit sometime. Wherever you live, wherever you're watching from, probably a Church of Christ near your neighborhood, uh, give them a visit sometime and tell them you watch Know Your Bible. All right, Toby. Okay, a where in the Bible question. A viewer asks, where in the Bible 
does it say that the gospel has been preached to all four corners of the earth? Well, there, there's not a verse that says exactly that. I think I know the verses they're referring to. There's one in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. These won't be on the screen. Uh, it says, He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners, or depending on the translation, the quarters of the earth. Revelation 7, 1 says, I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against my or against any tree. Uh, so there's, there's some controversy over the corners and the wording of the translation, but it seems to indicate the boundaries, the borders. And uh, Matthew chapter 24, 14, Jesus said, And this gospel, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And there's not the word corners in there and so forth, but it's the same idea that uh, the, the, the gospel will go out to every part of the earth and that when that happens, then that will signal the return. Of course, we don't uh, believe, we do believe uh, that that was, that the gospel at beginning at Pentecost spread starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to all the ends of the earth. Uh, that was, I think, what Jesus was talking about, that, that it would start there, it would spread out all over because there were men gathered from every nation. So as the gospel spread and people became Christians, it would spread throughout all the world. Um, but those are the closest references that I could find to where is it in the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> Um, he was, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. When Jesus said this to his disciples, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of, of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Jesus is here reminding them and us that we have an ongoing mission to carry the gospel to the lost, to everywhere we go. And so it's sending forth out missionaries and it's also Christians in our world as we go, uh, preaching and teaching and telling the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's a part of being a Christian uh, individually and collectively as the church. Okay, thank you. I got one time for one last question, I think. Who are the 12 tribes of Israel now? Now, we could spend a long time on this, and people spend a lot of time arguing about it. Uh, in general, the 12 tribes of Israel don't exist anymore. Uh, when Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple in 70 AD, uh, all the records were lost, and the genealogies, and they were scattered, and uh, there were captivities before that, and all that. So, Judaism is not identifiable by 12 distinct tribes anymore. But there is also a sense that the Bible talks about now uh, the Christians are the true Israel. We have become the chosen people of God. And I'll just show you one verse to help you understand that, and we'll maybe discuss it in some other program. But Galatians 6, verses 15 16, Paul says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So there talks about Judaism, the 12 tribes. What counts is a new creation. 
peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. And that's a term that Paul uses a lot about the church, Christians, uh, people that follow Christ being the true Israel of God. We're his chosen people now. Uh, certainly people who were in a tribe of Israel with a Jewish background uh, can be Christians, can be part of the true Israel of God. But uh, like I said, big topic to discuss all of, but basically the 12 tribes are gone. Church is the true Israel of God. Glad you've been with us today. And we're going to be, oh, trivia question. It was an olive leaf. We're out of time. <laughs> Come back and see us next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.